want to say that. And your hair is slamming. So you look really good. Hey, right? Isn't it great about the Lord's mercy? If it wasn't for God's mercy, where would we be? Right? If you think it's hot right now, we would be burning in hell. So it's, so it's okay, right? It's good. God's mercy is new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. I just want to say this. I am so excited. Think about the mercy of the Lord. Think about what God, God has done. You wouldn't have, now I, I want to say this, you wouldn't have someone you're sitting next to if it wasn't for the mercy of the Lord. Now, some of you are going, yeah, I got Ricky. Ricky got that amen. He was right because he knows it's Father's Day, and so, you know, he's trying to just make it happen. I, I just want to say this. Like, think about it. If it wasn't for the mercy of the Lord, the person next to you, wouldn't even, we wouldn't even know each other. Like, you wouldn't know me. Okay, you wouldn't know me. Like, they just look to me like, I don't care, John. I could care less if I knew you. Now, that's the great thing in the Lord, is that God is around us and giving us new life every day. And so, as a pastor, let me just kind of uh, uh, say this as a segue. It's difficult. Mother and Father's Day are difficult because not all of us have the same mother and father. So we don't always come up... The same, you know, if it was a perfect world, if it was utopia, uh, let's just say correctly, if it was heaven, then it would be this earthly parent would be a great day to celebrate. But I I know, I want to say this, even if your father's jacked up, I want to tell you that there is a heavenly father who is not jacked up and he is good. And if you, th- if you look at God like you look at your own parents, then you're really going to be messed up because God isn't even like them. He's a spirit, and he's the creator of the world, and his love is deep, and his mercy is new every morning. His mercy is as endless as the sea. And that means that when we do something bad or good or whatever, it doesn't even matter because God's already done it all, and we live in the beauty of his love and his grace and what he's done through Jesus Christ and shown it all and fulfilled every promise. So with that being said, I am so excited. So with this the series that we started, this is part two. This is why we're having the Lord's Supper continually. Uh, I, I'm really struggling in this. Why doesn't God move? We came to the conclusion last week with this, is that we can't do anything to make God move. You can't light a candle and make God move. You, you can't tithe enough money and make God move. You can't say the Lord's Prayer five times and then go out there and do something hard for the Lord and great for the Lord, and God will move. That is not the way it works in Scripture. What we've seen in Scripture is this, is that we create and make space for God to move. What I mean by that is this, is that we open our hearts and our lives to hearing the very voice of God, and we follow Him. Jesus said in John five nineteen, I'm using last week just as a segue, Jesus said, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. Which means this, when Jesus was on earth, he did nothing unless God told him to do it. John 17, he he prayed. He prayed. That's his prayer, by the way. That's his prayer, part of his prayer in the garden. And he says, I didn't lose one that you gave me. I didn't lose one. And he knew that Judas was of the devil. And so, think about it. He fulfilled and did everything that God wanted him to do. So, let's kind of continue on this. And I, by the way, I want you to know I wrestled with this sermon. I was preparing something else and literally woke up yesterday morning 
took my phone, started reading Psalm 36. And I mean, you know, you're kind of like this going, I'm reading and I'm just so relaxed that when you're relaxed, you really hear from the Lord. You, you really can hear when you just settle down. And God began to speak something to me that I believe that's very important. So let's, let's pray. Lord, I love Cameron singing that song. Gee, that was so good. Um, because I needed to hear that when I do things wrong, you still love me. I needed to hear when things don't go the way I want them to, that you still love us. And Lord, we need to continually hear that no matter what happens on this planet, that you are still in control. And your mercy is endless as the sea. Your, the heavens cannot contain you, even the highest heavens. And you are so good. So Lord, may you take this moment as we spend some time in your word, as we spend some time listening to the Spirit, as we spend some time taking the Lord's Supper together, may you move in our hearts so much that we would say that all we can do is say yes. We cannot make you move. I can't preach well enough. We can't sing well enough. But only by your grace will you move. And you promised it and fulfilled it in Jesus. Because you said if we ask for the Holy Spirit in the sense of, Lord, we asking you to teach us and show us and talk to us, communicate, make things clear, you will do it. And you have always been faithful and you will never, ever lie. And we praise you and worship you for that. Because we live in a generation that doesn't know right from wrong. We live in a generation where everything is just right, whatever situation somebody's in. At best, it's situational ethics. But God, we need your help. So speak to us today. We love you and praise you. And all God's people said what? Amen. So with that being said, I want us to look at uh, two passages here. Philippians chapter 2, very popular passage. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And and again, the Spirit just kind of laid that on me as a... Uh, as a, a segue, if you will, or a beginning to what we're trying to look at. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. This was a hymn they sang in the early church. This was sung, this, Jesus died around AD 30. By AD 36, they were already singing this hymn. This is before it was ever penned in Scripture. And they would, the church would come together and they would sing this hymn. And they would sing this about Jesus, the deity of Christ. So it wasn't like the early church ever struggled with the deity of Christ. So you don't ever have to worry about that. This is what they did in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, who? God, I guess it's not there. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus never used the God card. He never pulled out the God card. Rather, he made himself, what saints? Nothing. He made himself, he emptied himself, nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This passage has meant so much to me because it's taught me so much about Jesus. That here's what Jesus did. If we want to see why doesn't God move, here's why God, here's the way God moves. Here's how we do it. Just humble yourself. Hey, I know God, we've been doing right. My job I've been doing right. My work I've been doing right. Whatever else uh, at home I've been doing right. What's the delay, God? 
What's the delay? What's, what's the deal, Lord? If you're asking why God doesn't move, the answer is he does, but he moves on his agenda, and our call is to move to that agenda. And the way to get there is the very path that Jesus walked, in humility. So with that being said, looking at the attitude of Christ, the very mindset of Christ, let's go to Psalm chapter 36. So just take your Bible, open it up, or your phone, iPad. Oh, by the way, all the notes are on Facebook, Summit Church Facebook. All the notes are on, on, on the website, summitcharleston.com. Check it out. Everything's there. Okay, Psalm 36. Let's see what the Lord says in this. Psalm 36. This is good. An oracle. Woo! Sounds fancy. My version says... I have a message from God. Really, that's what it says. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. Now check this out. This is so good. There is no what, saints? I didn't hear you. What? Fear of God before his eyes. Look at verse 2. For in his own, I love this, eyes... He, what's the next word? Flatters himself. Why doesn't God move? Self-flattery. Self-flattery has become a very danger point for Christians. I understand the context. He's talking about the wicked. We are not wicked. We have the blood of Jesus. I know you're going, but John, I, I sin all the time. Listen. I just want to say something to you that nobody sins in this room more than me. And you're going, you don't know me, John. Let me tell you this. The Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. My sins are magnified against the Lord because of being a pastor. My, my, my room for error is small. But you say, but John, then, then how can you be right with God? It's called the blood of Jesus. The same way you're right with God. It's the blood of Jesus. We don't do anything to deserve. We can't get in his better standing. We can't do any. You just can't do anything to be right with God except just receive the blood of Jesus. That's it. But then there's a danger when we're looking for God to move. And this is what the Lord was showing me. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. Can we just rest in that? People can't even recognize their sin because they think about themselves way too highly. They, there's, there's this, listen, I make fun of my back fat because I have back fat. Okay, you could have laughed at that. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. It's all right to laugh a little bit. It's okay to cry a little bit. It's okay to say, I'm weak. We live in a world that where weakness is looked down upon. Listen, I want to say this. The older I get and the more I'm with people that are sick or hurting or even towards their deathbed, can I just tell you, the people that love Jesus the most as they're dying are some of the most humble, sweet people I've ever met. They don't think about themselves. They're thinking about you. They want you by their side. They want you with them. They want you to know 
that they care about you. They want you to know that they love you. And the closer people get to the very arms of Jesus, the more it becomes about others and the less it becomes about themselves. But the further we get away from Jesus, the less it becomes about others and the more it becomes about who? Us. I remember um, taking care of my father there the last month before he died. And very, you know, eaten up by all the tumors of cancer. Just, I mean, just, he shrunk, like literally, that he would shrink inches. And I remember uh, helping, I would get him up as he would go in for radiation, and his, his bones would just crack. He couldn't, you know, go over a, a railroad track fast. He couldn't ride in an SUV because the tumors were so big on his back that they would break and he would be paralyzed. So he was like this, and, and, and he couldn't hardly move. And so we would lift him up, and I remember the, the radiologist tech looked at him, and she looked at him as I lifted him up out of the chair. I'll never forget this. And it was all she could do not to burst into tears. And he, and he goes back, and we get him back, and I remember he would sit there, and he would just grind his teeth because of the pain. And I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. I remember he began to like, he didn't have much energy. He couldn't really talk a lot as it got worse. And so he began to just try to write some things down. And I kept his paper because I'm selfish. Because I wanted to remember my dad. So I remember keeping the paper. And it said something like this. It, says, it said something, he was kind of quoting him. If I have offended anyone today, Lord, forgive me. You know, when, you're, when you get closer to Jesus, you just can't think about yourself. Because all you can do is be consumed. And when people don't recognize their sin, it's because they flatter themselves too much. And that just, that just moves away God. It just moves Him. The, God is far from people with flattery. God is far from people who think about their fame. God is far from people whose hearts are full of pride. Proverbs 6 says, six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. The first thing is haughty eyes, pride. And the second one is a lying tongue. So what keeps us from seeing God move? Here's the answer. The answer that keeps us from seeing God move is self-flattery. Let me, let me give you the word. Uh, if you're taking notes, or if you want to write this down and pray about this, listen to this. Here's what flattery means in Hebrew. Here it is. This is really interesting. When you get back to the original language, woo, wakes it up. Here's what it means. Flattery means this, to divide. I want you to write that down in your Bible. You make a note of that somewhere because we're getting ready to pray about it. The word flattery means to divide. It literally means this. Another word in that domain means to plunder. You, you know when people would go to battle, what would, it, what would they do to their enemies? They would plunder their enemies. They would take everything away. Flattery, flattery not only divides, divides us from the presence of God, flattery Flattery divides us, but it also plunders the very desire for us to be in the presence of God. God puts it like this. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. 
It doesn't mean that you pour water and the fire's gone and the Spirit's gone and He's left you. That can never happen because do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You can't undo the sealing of God. But what you can do is, is that fire becomes so low that you can't even feel it, much less hear Him. That it means this, to divide or plunder. Proverbs 27, verse 2. If, if we could put that up, Brandy. That's it. That's pretty good, isn't it? Tell the truth, shame the devil. That's it. That's it. Look, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Someone else and not your own lips. If you're around, now look, let me, let me qualify this. Um, I, I'm, I'm weak. What's your love language? Somebody yell it out, come on. Woo! Every man's dream, brother. Every man's dream. Oh, one person laughed. That was good. All the men are sitting there going, I'm scared to say anything. I'm scared to say awkward moment in church. Awkward moment. He's talking about sex. Yes. We're talking about sex. It's in scripture. Get over yourself. S-E-S. Sex, 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 sex. I laugh. Okay, physical touch. Yes. Uh, mine is too. But also, I know there's another one I have. Anybody got another one? Just maybe way down the list, man. Oh, ladies, I heard you. Loud. Quality time. Quality time. My husband, he's going to work from 8 to 5, and for the next four hours every night, he's going to come home and look in my eyes and say how much he loves me and how beautiful I am. And if he had to do it all over again, I'm the only one in the universe. It's just us and the Lord every night. Quality time quality. We can talk for three hours, but if we didn't get depth in that conversation, that was quantity time, not quality time, John. She said, that's right. Jenna's over there. That's right, Tim. My, my, my heart is, is, see, that's good stuff. We need, these are things we need. Anybody got another love language? Can I get a witness? <laughs> Are y'all awake today? Did y'all spend too much time at that Florida Georgia Line concert? What's going on with y'all? Huh? What's another one? Oh, and that's right what I wanted. Words of affirmation. That's, that's me. I'm physical touch, but I'm words of affirmation. If you, listen, if you come to me and you say, John, look, man, I, you know, you don't do everything right, but I just want to tell you something. You know, you, if you work hard, like, you know, you're really trying hard, and I, I just appreciate you and love you. I will run through a wall for you. I will run through a wall for you. If you give me words of affirmation, I will go as hard as I can. Now, I'm not saying don't rip me. I'm not saying don't get on me. I mean, I got to get over. That's just selfishness. But I'm saying words of affirmation. So I'm not saying that words of affirmation go out the window. I'm not saying when somebody comes up to you and gives you a word of encouragement that that's flattery. No, no. The Bible says encourage one another while it's still called today. Those are good things. Speak life into people. Speak hope into people. Just quit speaking it into yourself. We're not as good as we think we are. But we're not as bad as we think we are. Here's what we do. We just stay humble right in front of the Lord. There's nothing wrong with encouraging someone or even encouraging yourself. But if your encouragement is, 
is for you rather than encouraging yourself so you can fulfill what God is telling you, then it is self-flattery. That's a good word. The problem is, is that we're focused on us way too much. Go back to Psalm 36, verse 2. This is where, this is the kind of, you get to see the problem here. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself. What are the next two words? Too much. There's the danger. The danger and the lies within that. Um, in other words, what am I trying to say? Okay, here's flattery too much. Does anybody in here like social media? That means nobody in here has a Facebook except three of us. Praise the Lord for y'all. Okay, um, here's what I'm saying. Instagram, woo, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and any other thing you want to put out there, but let's just go with some big four. There's nothing wrong with them in themselves. But if we live, let me just say this. There's nothing wrong in themselves but if we use them to celebrate just us, then all we are left with is just us. In other words, I am tired of looking at what you ate for dinner. I'm tired. I don't care. I'm not going to like your status. One is you're probably eating something that I really want, bread. And two, I just don't care. If, you're, if your whole life is about how many people like your Instagram photo, maybe we have a problem with Psalm 36 verse 2. I mean, let's just be honest. And we're living for likes, and that's why it's called YouTube, because it's about you. Facebook is about me. I mean, I, let me tell you something. If I was a criminal today, which I'm not, I could rob many of you blind because you tell me every time you're out of town. Look, I want to celebrate life with you. And I love it. But if our whole lives... There are some people that I don't think they really have any friends... They have Facebook friends, which there's a difference, by the way. And so that what they do, since nobody really interacts with them, they just tell everybody what they do the whole day. Have y'all noticed that? Uh, I'm going to the store. Wow, there was a person rude with me in the line. Oh, wow, look at this person with the ghetto tank top. You know, I, I, I don't really, yet, you know, I, they have 8,000 statuses. I don't know what's going on. Like, I can't even get to the birthdays because it's, it's filled up with eight. Uh, I really, I, I think it borderlines on, we, we want to be noticed so bad, so we spend so much time trying to notice ourselves. Now, I am not saying that every time you open your Facebook that you need to write Scripture. You don't have to do that. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't take it that way. I like being nosy. I like being a social creeper. It is fun. And you probably have crept too. You've probably gone on friends of another friend of a friend photos and... No? Yeah, you have. That's okay. In a kind of creepy, loving Jesus way. But 
I think when we try to promote ourselves, it's when it becomes dangerous. And I think we need to use it for what it is. Celebrate life. Celebrate your victories. Celebrate all this stuff. This is great. When you're hurting, tell people. It's a great way for us to come here. I'm not saying dump that stuff. I'm not saying go on, some people say, a Facebook fast. I don't even know where that is in the Bible. But I, I just know that those are, things are great. But it doesn't always have to be about us, does it? It doesn't always. So I want to tend, spend some time in that. Some people, their only friend is their Facebook. They live their lives in the public eye, the Lord was showing me, but there's no one in the public arena who really cares about them. They live for their likes. Maybe we should live for his praise. When someone is focused on himself or herself too much, then the only way they can serve is if they are served. What do I mean by this? I mean this is, is, is that serving the Lord... By serving else comes with this. When you know someone likes their flattery, the only way they serve is only if they can be paid back or be noticed. If I preach so that you will know who I am, if I preach so that somebody will do something for me, then there is a dividing wall of hostility of sin that it will never speak to your heart. This will never move you at all in the Lord. You'll feel nothing. You just show up, you just feel, you don't even feel the Spirit. Nothing. But if I come up here and say, God, I got, I'm doing this for you, this is for you, and I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus, that he's the one that we flatter, he's the one that we love, and that we acknowledge on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everything, we acknowledge that all good gifts come from the Father of lights where there's no variation or shifting of shadow. If we acknowledge that, then that is great flattery to the Lord. So I want to I wanna challenge us today to begin to say, are we beginning to flatter the Lord more than flatter us. I noticed there's a problem with serving. Serving is an inconvenience. That's, that's flattering language of someone's self. It's dangerous. They only serve when the situation is exactly right. Can I just say something about that? Then Jesus would have never served, would he? Would, when, when's a good time for Jesus to go to the cross? Oh, I cannot wait to be betrayed today. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait for all my friends to desert me and then, oh, by the way, me look like I'm some type of idiot because one of my close people were stealing all the money out of the coffer, the coin coffer, and, and then he's going to turn me in for basically slaves' wages. So I, I just can't wait for today. Please, high priest, slap me. I, I, when's a good day for that? You know, there's really no, there's never a good day to serve in the Lord when it's about you. But it, every day is a good day to serve in the Lord when it's about him. Uh, Mark 10 45 says this. You can throw it up there. I want you to see this. One of the scriptures that the Lord really showed me. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what, saints? And to give his life as a ransom for many. That is the attitude and the mindset of Christ. When flattery is not in our con, not in our wheelhouse, when self-flattery is not about us, when our lives are not about us, when it's about the King Jesus and the beauty of Jesus, then we can do walk along and say, for even we not come to be served, but to serve and to give our lives away for him. That's the power of the gospel. That's the hope of the gospel. And the reason why people feel this way 
John, what is really the root of self-flattery? Go back to Psalm 36, verse 1. Psalm 36, verse 1. Uh, and I'd like to put up in the New American Standard if I can. Brandy, that version. Um, here's the answer. Here's the answer of why or how people get into flattery. Verse 1. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Verse 2. For it, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. In other words, the more he sins, it makes him feel good about himself. Yeah, you say, but John, what do you mean? Here's, the, here's what it's like. Yeah, I told that person off. Yeah. Yeah, they said this to me. Yeah, I told them off. Yeah, they deserved it. You see how they talked to me? You see them cut me off in traffic? You see her flip me off? You see what they did? You see how they acted towards me in school? Yeah, they deserve it. My boss had it. They had it coming. Bragging about it. That's a dangerous zone in the Lord. That's, a, that's an attitude of self-flattery. Um, let's put it in, in the NIV, if you don't mind, Brandy. Psalm 36, verse 1. In the NIV. I think it's really interesting when we see this. An oracle, or really, that's what it means. There's a message from God within my heart. Or, or as my version says, I have a message from God in my heart. An oracle is within my heart concerning sinfulness of wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is the root of self-flattery. When there's no fear of the Lord, you can ask my son, who's playing at Cajon, you asked my son last night, I said to him, I said, J.D., I said, I, I am afraid of God. John, perfect love casts out fear. First John, I, I'm not saying that I, I'm fearful to come into his presence. I, I just know that God is God and I am not. And there's a gap so big I can't measure it. And that he is my responsibility. And I want to do what's right by the Lord first. That I fear God more than him. You know what's amazing? When you fear God more than you fear others, all of a sudden you get a lot of courage for Jesus. When there's no fear of God, there are no boundaries. The Lord showed me that. Did you know that? There are no boundaries. When someone doesn't fear God, there are no boundaries. Sin, they can go as far as they want in the sin. Be, just That's why I'm saying, that's why the you know, psalmist screams against in Psalm 14, and later in the middle of Psalms, screams against about people that say there is no God. He says, only a fool says in his heart there is no God. Because a fool has no boundaries. A fool speaks too much, says something too much, does something. They take things way too far. Are y'all with me this morning? When you're around people that were self-flattery, Here's what you need to do. Show them Jesus. Stay very humble, but keep stepping back. Because they have no boundaries. And by the way, just because they're nice to you doesn't mean they like you. People are nice when they can use you to get ahead. So when there's no boundaries, they do not... I love, and I love this in verse 1. My version says... Um, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Let's go to verse 2. For in his own eyes, he, he flatters himself way, uh, excuse me, too much to, what's the next word? All right, now, write that word down, circle it. I want you to pray about it in just a moment. Here we go. 
The word detect means this. It, New American Standard says discovery. It means to find. They, they can't find their sin. John, I, I, I didn't know what I did was wrong. John, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know that that was wrong. I didn't know that, that, that cussing her out, she deserved it because I didn't know. Uh, they, they can't find it. They can't. And you're thinking, why doesn't it bother them? They have no fear. They have no boundaries. They can't detect it. Their spirit is dead. Stop talking to dead people. What I mean by that is this. You're saying, John, don't witness, don't share it. No, no. I'm not saying speak the word of life. Stop speaking the word of life to them. What I am saying is this, is that sometimes if you're trying to get them to understand things, only the spirit can. When things are from the Spirit and the Spirit is dead, the Spirit has to awaken the Spirit. Ephesians 2.1, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. We're dead. Only the Spirit can awaken the dead. That's why God didn't come. You've heard this old saying 18 billion times. God didn't, call, God didn't come. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. So when they can't detect it, when there are no boundaries, Proverbs 28, verse 1. One of my, this is one of my favorite Proverbs. I love this. The wicked flee when no one is chasing or pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as the lion. Right? Because when you fear the Lord, you get courage. But guess what? When you don't have, when you don't have uh, boundaries, the wicked are always running. They can never sit still. They can never just settle down. They can't settle in a relationship. They can't settle in a job. Everything is bigger, better, better, bigger, better, better for themselves. We've heard people say this. I don't know why I do it. I just can't control it. I just can't stop it. If you've dealt with people in addictions, if you've dealt with people in addictions, then you know what I'm talking about. When there's no fear of God, there are no boundaries, and they can't even detect. I can't put my finger on the problem. But when we allow Jesus to come in, we do have a boundary. We have an answer. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in, uh, I love this, and there is salvation in no one else. Look at the qualifier there. No one else. Very limited. Very limited. No one else. The Bible says, very direct, this is one way. And there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name, there's no other name under heaven. Again, he limits the scope, very direct, that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Look at the exclusivity of Scripture. The exclusivity in this verse. Look, God excludes. And there's salvation in no one else. No other name. That's exclusive. No one can save us but Jesus. No one can heal my marriage but Jesus. No one can save my job but Jesus. No one can save my family. No one can save my finances. No one can save my dreams but Jesus. He is the only one who can save. So where's the hope in all this? I'm going to ask Robbie and Cameron and, and, and the, the band. I, I would like, if, if y'all don't mind, I'd like to do something if you would give me the grace in this. You don't have to, uh, but I, I would like to ask this. We sang a beautiful song. That last song we just sang, Mercy. I was wondering if we could sing that again. And if y'all could play this over this time of invitation and you could sing it over us as we're taking the Lord's Supper and then as we move back to our seats and we sing it with them. And let me tell you why.
I want to give you hope this morning. I want to give you hope that when people aren't telling you this flattery language, I, I want to tell you what God says and His flattery language. Go back to Psalm 36. And this is the hope of the Lord. Psalm 36. And I want to look at verse 5. And this is what I want you to pray today. If you're in need of the Lord in anything in your life, I don't care if it's I'm in single land, I'm in divorced land, I'm in jobless land, I'm in my family needs to be saved land. God, I need you to move land. I want to give you some hope. Verse 5. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. I just want to say something today. You can't measure the love of the Lord. Your sin is not greater than His, than his love. He's not limited. He loves you. And He cares for you. And it is sin for me, and it is sin for me to lead this church to believe that our sins somehow hinder God. No, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. I, I can't believe y'all saying this on mercy. It just blows me away. Your faithfulness to the skies. That means that God's faithfulness can be seen. Do you need God to move? Is there something that you need God to do? I want you to make room today. Look at verse 6. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. You can climb your own mountain of righteousness, your own hill of doing good, but in the end, it's very low compared to the greatest hill called Jesus. And on Calvary, Jesus became our righteousness. And maybe you need to receive that love today. Your justice, like the great deep. I know you've been done wrong in your job. Uh, look, I, I know some people have been done wrong and some people are working in a work environment and they're going, Lord, can you just get me out of here? And God doesn't seem like He's moving. I want you to know that His justice is coming and it is deep, which means when people have to pay the Lord back, there is a lot to be paid. And their sins keep stacking and stacking and stacking. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. I want you to say this. So I guess there'll be cats in heaven. Who knew? But he preserves. I want you to today, do you need God to hold you up? Do you need God to hold up a relationship? Or maybe hold up your strength? Do you need to get a word from the Lord? Do you need God to preserve you? He will do it if you'll just come to Him. Verse 7, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. Look how valuable His love is. It's more treasurable than the love of a spouse, of a child, of a million-dollar paycheck. It's more than that. It's more valuable. It's priceless. And some of us today may need to stop loving ourselves as much as, 
We need to start loving Jesus more. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from your river of delights. Verse 9. For with you is the fountain of light. And I love this last part. In your light, we see light. What do you need God to bring light upon today? In His light, we see light. We have direction. He tells us where to go. We're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper. And as they sing over this, maybe some of you want to come and kneel and and let God speak some value to you. Maybe you want to come and kneel and speak some value to Him. Maybe you want to come and let Him preserve something to you. Maybe you want some justice. Maybe maybe you need Him to preserve something in a relationship. Maybe you need Him to be faithful in a situation. Maybe you just need to experience His love today. I want you to do that. Some of you, as I pray over us, and as they play and as they sing, and there's some powerful words. You're going to come forward, and you know how we do it at Summit. You don't have to be a member. But if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're going to get baptized or you've been baptized, we want you to come and get this. Get the bread and get the cup and get with a group off to the side. Go back in the area, whatever it is, and don't do it alone. Get with people you don't know. Bond with people in the name of Jesus because it's not about you. And you're going to take that bread and you're going to say, this is the body which was broken for me. Jesus' body paid the price for my sins. Then you're going to take the blood, or excuse me, the cup that represents the blood of the covenant. And you're going to drink that. It's the covenant, the never-ending covenant. The righteousness of Jesus covers us. So when we die, we stand in His presence. Or if Jesus comes back, we stand in His presence. And we are right with Him because of Jesus. And you're going to spend some time and examine your life before you take this. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about it. We have to examine ourselves. If I've wronged somebody, i got to go make it right. If I've offended somebody, i got to make it right. If I can't get in touch with them, then I ask God, God, just forgive me. And if I ever come across their path, I make it right. If they're dead and gone, then you just give it to the Lord. we got to come together. Flattery, as the old saying says, gets you nowhere. But flattering Jesus makes room for him to move. Take that passage in 1 Corinthians 11. Go off to the side. Examine yourself. Ask for forgiveness. Seek the Lord. Let Him examine your heart, the Spirit. Then take it together. Read the Scripture. Pray and take it together. Spend time with the Lord. Let Him speak. Lord, when Cameron was singing that song, I just know you laid on my heart for them to sing it again. And I thank you that they're willing to do so. And they're just so gracious so our cry is this Lord as we prepare to take this Lord's Supper as some people come and just kneel and pray or seek the Lord God I pray today that there will be less of us and more of you as John the Baptist would say that he, uh, he must increase and I must decrease may that be our prayer today Lord forgive us of our sins as we examine ourselves so we take the bread and the cup in a right manner and that we have offended, if we've offended anybody or done anything wrong, we ask for forgiveness. We want to walk in the path of Jesus. We want to walk with you. God, I'm asking you to move. 
not because of my prayer, but because you're alive and that you want to be glorified. Because it's better for us. So have your will and way. Heal people physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Draw us close to you. Help us to become one with you. This is our prayer and our call for mercy.